Hello and welcome. I'm Stephen. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce a very special presentation of Androids and Assets. Uh, in the winter of 2018, I was really committed to making a documentary about video games. Now, I never made an audio documentary, so how hard could it have been? Well, it turns out a lot harder than I thought. Add to that the fact that in 2019, I had maybe one of the worst years of my life. I never made a documentary, but in the process, I was doing some research, and I did uh, talk to some gamers, and we had a very, very cool conversation that I recorded with them, and uh, they wish... They spoke to me on the grounds of anonymity, but they did want to talk about the hobby they loved. And they have some very, I think, intriguing and unique insights. Despite the fact that this interview is two years old, I think the things that it has to say about video games and the world of gaming are as prescient as ever and have only, in a certain sense, become more true. Um, I wanted to release it soon because I know, you know, I, I've been sitting on it for a couple of years now, and I just wanted it to get out to the public. Uh, so I thought I would add it as a piece of bonus content. Uh, just for people, drop it as a little midweek treat so you have a little more extra Androids and Assets content. If you like things or things like this, uh, please definitely get in touch with us. Uh, you can contact us, info at Androids and Assets, or you can message myself, Steve Droids, or at Asset Droid on Twitter. We're also at Asset Droid on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you have a story about the weird way that economics interacts with your hobby or science fiction nerdery, uh, please get in touch with us. We would love to hear from you. So without any further ado, we're going to jump right into the action as we talk about currency in video games. A little piece that I'm calling The Money Game. Yeah, I, I would say that the development of MMO economies, kind of, right. and so how they changed. It went It went time. from participants owning the means of production, making their own shit, and selling it to each other for profit. Oh, yeah, owning their labor. Yeah. yeah. To transitioning to just this thing, where you can do that, or you can pay, or you can currency exchange. Well, no, no because the entire economy is dominated by... Uh, the distortion from currency exchange. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like there, there is no selling the thing that you farm and produce to another person. Well, I think, it's, I all think, well, it's all mediated yeah. through bots and uh, real money trade. Sure. Uh, trying to game the economy constantly. Yeah. I guess it's a bit like stock what, exchange. Yeah, a bit like what happened to the stock exchange in you know the late eighties, early nineties, as the the really big traders started using bots to kind of buy and sell at the micro at the, you know millisecond rate to right you would see yeah you would see you would see people trading commodities by the by the minute well yeah i mean <laughs> kind of before um before the computers were basically handling all the trades um algorithmically you know you'd have the classic a bunch of stockbrokers on the floor, yeah, yeah, yelling you know, back yeah. to each other and making paper trades and whatnot. But you don't see that at all oh, oh, anymore. But I mean, even more fundamental to that, the idea of the stock market, like the 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 transition from people engaging with the economy as a means to get goods and services from the economy, to people engaging with the economy simply to create the currency from the economy. Right. They don't want anything out of the game's fake assets. 
they want right. the game's fake money and only the game's fake money. Yeah, I guess it is kind of a riot. Yeah, it, it, it does parallel the the meteoric rise of uh, the the fire finance uh, insurance real estate. Yeah, fire uh, dominance of the kind of American and Canadian GDP since like the seventies, just as kind of the 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 trade in money becomes a lot more valuable, valuable than the trading goods than the trade in goods. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and when the use of currency transitions from I'm selling leather pants so that I can save up enough money to buy some nice metal finger gloves to I'm selling these leather pants because they turn the highest profit right now so that I can turn that currency into money. It, the in-game currency becomes agnostic to the goods. Right. It, I'm buying because, these, or I'm buying these leather pants because right now they're at a historically low price, yeah. so I'm going to buy tons of them and then keep them in a back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Because, because the game you start playing is the game of market speculation and yeah. not the game of making goods to go and fight monsters in dungeons, which is conceivably yeah. what this thing is all about Right. at the end of right. the day. Right, so you, you now have a game and then a market that is agnostic to the game because the market has become entangled with the larger market. It's the entire economy. There's no longer escapism in, in MMOs. <laughs> Because the real world economy follows follows you in, right? And now, and, and, and there was and there was a point where they were just disjunct, and now it's become completely integrated. So yeah, that's kind of what you're saying. So you saw something weird. So when people started doing, when MMO economies started, mm. uh, they were kind of unregulated, and then they and they were subject to all, and they became subject to all the foibles of actual economies, mm. uh, and then they kind of became, they reached another tier of abstraction. People started. Uh, doing currency exchange for in-game currency, mm-hmm. and that further destabilized things and made things weird. And then finally, eventually, the people who were making the games cut out the currency sellers and got in that business for themselves. Tried oh. to, tried to. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know, like, but uh, yeah, and with varying well, degrees I mean, of success. That's absolutely what they do now. I mean, they haven't successfully cut them out though. No, like they try to. They tried to maintain a, I guess, a state monopoly, if you will, on currency exchange. True. Well, you can usually, I guess, you probably find it for cheaper. Well, they sidestep some of that stuff with loot crates. Like, if you, if you don't have a mechanism that allows people to directly trade right. within the game, then, you, then you, you absolutely force people. You force people out of that completely. Uh, can, can we maybe talk about what the hell happened with Diablo 3? I wasn't close enough. Diablo 3, yeah. It was so popular... And Blizzard went in so hard on real-world market integration that it exploded immediately. Like, what's the story? Well, okay, so Diablo 3, the big selling feature of it was it would have this real-world money auction house where you could put up uh, items that you found in the game um, on this thing and other people could pay for it with real money and Blizzard would take a cut. Right, Mm -hmm. so... But of course, the problem with that is that Blizzard designed their game around that because they knew that that was going to be much, much, much more than uh, the actual selling right. price of the game. That was where they were going to make their bread and butter going forward. Sure. And they did that primarily by gaming the probability or rigging the probability, rigging the probability of drops. Yeah, so that you would get a bunch of stuff for classes that you weren't playing, encouraging yeah. you to put that stuff on the auction house so that Blizzard could get the cut of the sell- sale price. Right, but, so it forced players into trade with each other. Right, but the trade was contingent on these on these U.S. dollar exchanges. We'll say U.S. dollar. I mean, it could be yeah, euros. Could I don't really exactly. We talk yeah. about like real money markets versus not real money markets. Well, if people are paying U.S. dollars for Jill or gold or whatever it is, 
that's not a not real money anymore. Yeah. A little bit. So <laughs> I think I think with Blizzard that you bought like Blizzard bucks or something. Uh, there Blizz was bucks. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't called whatever that, they were. Yeah. yeah. There was like a And of course through the system they get their cut at multiple stages in it, right? Right. Yeah. So of course yeah, this is kind of the thing that they don't want to do is they don't want to go too far and uh they well, This the sounds to me they, very much like a casino. Uh, oh, absolutely! Yeah. Uh, it's a slot machine. It's a modern, yes. modern slot it, it's machine. It's a slot machine with extra stuff. Well, because modern slot machines are are very calculatedly designed to make you win at just the right amounts of frequency, such that you stay invested. Variable, variable payoff ratio. Yeah. Uh, yes. Conditioning. Right. right. Is like the, is the uh, industrial psychology term, right? Sure. Yeah. And, variable payoff condition. And Diablo was trying to go for that, but they didn't get it right. <laughs> they didn't get so what? What happened to them? Well, it, the game wasn't sufficiently playable. Yeah, <laughs> you 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 would unless you very thoroughly engage with the auction house, you would not get enough drops for the classes that you were playing to progress in the game in any kind of fun way. Not only that, but at, uh, people using real money trade like they they underestimated how much people would game the real money trade system, and it quickly became so. One, they stacked the drops against it so that you would get drops that uh, were only were predominantly for other classes so that you would have to yeah. go through this trade system yeah. but people manipulated the trade system you know put sinking real money investment into buying out things so that they can sell them at a higher price exactly so it quickly they, became right. that you're not you had hyper you're not play yes you had hyperinflation you didn't have players selling to other players you had speculators buying up everything and, and selling to everyone and driving and, up the price. Yes, and yes. because Blizzard had pinned uh, playing the game right and getting the gear for your classes contingent on using this marketplace. It pushed all it the was, users out. It, well, it pushed all the users to have to buy from these speculators at exorbitant rates to be able to play the game properly. So just no one played. Yeah. Or the people who did were So what insane. happened to Diablo? Where is Diablo? If I were to log they, into they, Diablo 3 they, today... They walked, it, they walked it back. And But the thing okay. is, with a launch like that that's so catastrophic, you can't... Recover. You can't recover properly, so they're continuously like penduluming back and forth trying to get it right, but they can never get it right because they've permanently disrupted their base. Yeah, uh, yeah, they they made it such that you know you get a lot more drops for your classes, so they made the game you know actually playable on its own without engaging. Right. They just made it. They just more flooded. They just they, they just flooded the market. They with, also with com like, commodities. They also they literally took it down. Trade. They took apart their auction house. Oh, okay. yeah. So that... No, it was so much of a problem because they started getting people, they started getting attention like, hey, is there laundry, money laundering going through this? It's like, well, yeah. Of course. The, the same problem, <laughs> the same reason that online poker for money can't happen in the United States anymore. Right. And Well, did, yeah. did, so did Blizzard ever come in to have issues with... Like with regulators about this issue because I know it's, I know other game companies have like I, since I see th this is why I was saying at the beginning I wasn't close enough I don't know I think they were savvy enough to get the fuck out before well I think they got the they I think they got out as it became clear that it would become a problem mm. it was just a terrible idea and but well my question is if if Blizzard made money off of this was it a terrible idea. Probably not. I mean, the, I mean, we don't know. I guess we'd have to ask Blizzard. Internally, I think it would be considered a short-sighted failure because Diablo 3 was supposed to be... 
a big thing. They wanted player longevity, and they didn't get that. Yeah, it's uh, supposed because, to, it was supposed to. I mean, it was like people played Diablo two for mm-hmm. twenty years. Yeah, people yeah. Are still playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I'm pretty sure that right now, uh, Path of Exile, the competitor Diablo two successor, uh, currently has a more active and uh, sustainable player base than and Diablo three. And for Blizzard who is, like, a major holder of the prime IP of this, which everything else is supposed to be a knockoff. This is a... Embarrassment? Yeah, a humiliating embarrassment, and uh, in the eyes of, like, business sense, an unacceptable loss of market share. Like, this is screwing the pooch on what should have been a shoe-in for them to dominate the market in. But Blizzard, but Blizzard, I mean, they also own... Overwatch. Overwatch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah you well, know. And, I know where right. you're going. Yeah. <laughs> yes. They, they, so, I think they learned a lot from Diablo three, and I think the big mm-hmm. lesson that they learned is that you can't have all your players engaging with your microtransactions because not all of them are going to do them. Not all of them are going to, and uh, if you force them to, then you're not going to have a big enough player base to support those that. See, this is where we're going to hook back into. So Path of Exile, a decade ago, just a small indie uh, group of people, like some some Diablo developer veterans, just like a couple guys, just accidentally hit on to the idea of the voluntary whale market. Really? Break down Path of Exile for me. What are we talking about? Path of Exile is a Diablo-like game. Uh, it has very similar gameplay. Has but Path money. of Exile's economy is entirely based... Uh, I mean, okay. Path of Exile's in-game economy is entirely based off of barter. So it's entirely based off of trade of unique items and trade of uh, item currency. And it's not currency in the sense of uh, like money, but each tool has an in-game use. So, like this piece of currency, the exalted orb, will add a modifier to a rare item, uh, and it's worth a whole bunch. Sure. So everything, everything that's exchanged between players, has it has an in-game use. There's no abstract gold or anything. Right. So you and trade, then, you trade axes for. Swords. And then Path of Exile's microtransaction money is in entirely volunteer opt-in it's either prestige gameplay and not in the sense of pay to win but like storage space and storage optimization like labels and Mm -hmm. being able to name your storage tabs okay and cosmetics uh like just cosmetic armor so i can't i I can't i can't alternative skill effect and spend a whole bunch of money to become a totally killer badass well you could probably pay someone to get a bunch of all right and that that will always be and that will always be there but um, that is outside of the game proper but the the barter system obfuscates that and yes there is no uh there is no endorsed paying in in game proper right wow Okay, and uh, so Path of and Exile this, And is... this has been very, for the most part, I would say, like, quite successful and sustainable, and I think this is the origin of the idea of the... Um... Loot box? Well, but do the... Is it, a, like, is it a loot box system? Like, do you pay for a they box have both of random now. items? They have both now. Oh. They have... From the beginning, they had the, you pay for cosmetics, and You now buy they a have... cosmetic item yes. that you know, and you And pay now for... they also have the cheap mystery boxes. Right. The fucking mystery boxes. The box. mystery boxes. So, okay, so maybe for people who don't know what loot nothing. crates are. <laughs> Absolutely nothing! <laughs> we just watched UHF the other day. Stupid! <laughs> You're so, You're so stupid! stupid. Uh, 
Anyway, that's uh, go watch you a chef. It's great. The woman wins. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Real yeah. fish. I've seen. Well, yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, but she wants the mystery box. So, <laughs> uh, so, so loot crates. Then, How, loot crates. what are they? How do loot crates work? All right. So, because uh, loot crates aren't also play to win either. No, they're not. Uh, so we'll take Overwatch. It's kind of the the hot new thing right now, and it is the best example. And it's also Blizzard. So, Overwatch, you uh, you can just play the game. You have to buy it, of course. It's not free to play. Seventy five dollars. Is it in Canadian? It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. All right. Um, or it was. Jeez. Uh, okay, well, a lot of people are willing to pay that, and uh, as as you level up, I think, every time you level up, you get a, a loot box. I, I don't remember if they're actually called that in... I think it may be called loot crates. Loot crate. and, and of course, or... bear in mind, uh, level ups have no in-game no. Uh, function. The, uh, the level up system is simply prestige. A, uh, a prestige mechanic, and I think some like, like tutorial and league access things. Like, all, you all, of, be, all of Overwatch. You need to be a certain level to compete and get into yeah. ladder ranks. And yeah, sure. It's for pairing. It's for pairing in, in PvP. Yeah, it says yeah. you've played this many... It's rank, mm-hmm. and yeah. You, yeah. You've played this many, you've won this many, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, whenever you level up, you get one of these boxes, and it has uh, a random assortment of uh, skins... Or uh, voice clips for characters, okay. and or, or spray tags. I guess you can spray tags on the wall sure. in that game. Um, and uh, and you know you can they're, so dec- they're, they're strictly decorative, nothing strictly decorative stuff. Mm-hmm. You can only apply them to the character that they're for. You can get uh, duplicates of them, but whatever you get them for free, right? Except of course you, you can, can also, also pay. pay for them. You can pay for these loot boxes, and uh, you uh, you know you pay for them, and they. You don't know what you're gonna get, so people can are people are sinking just huge amounts of money into these right. if they want. I want that skin, but there's right. only like you, a one in a thousand chance of you, you getting. You see someone that skin. running around with that super rare, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Skin. But there's only so there's only so many people who are going to be doing this frequently enough for it to be a sustainable economy. The sure. the whales, yeah. The the big hauls. To sustain... From Blizzard. These yes. are big hauls from Blizzard's perspective. Yes, the yes. big hauls from B- Blizzard's perspective. The people who are going to sink thousands of dollars personally, themselves, into these microtransactions for digital... Uh, Van- vanity plates. Aesthetic vanity plate <laughs> skins. Yes. Um, but in order for there to be whales playing your game, there's a lot of games on the market... You need them to be a big to, and popular game. There needs to be a, a, enough of a popular game for them to have a reason to want to show off. You need a more uh, casual or even just hardcore playing all the time, super engaged with the game, but not necessarily spending as much or any money on it. Uh, and to support that, though, because so much of engagement with the game is based on these skins and things, you also keep a drip feed of events and giveaways. Right. You're always giving yeah. away a little bit. You're continuously of, inventing new imaginary uh, accomplishments and skins. Right. Holiday you're, events. You're giving away, quote-unquote, free uh, things to encourage people to buy the free things. Because none of it costs you a fucking dime. Well, except for pe- paying people to create them. But right. once you pay people to create them, you can just... You know, they're infinite. Because, I, mean, I mean, like like stuff like... I remember like playing FF11 and stuff. Like there was, there was like uh, seasonal events were a big thing in oh, yeah. MMOs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like there would be like a pumpkin hat for Halloween or you get Santa hat. Sure, or, like the, they're a fun way know. to create engagement yeah, in yeah, the population. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. when 
but your entire they were never a huge money scheme for <laughs> no they were just no. there would be a little quest that you could do and at the end of the mm-hmm. quest you got a thing yeah I mean you were paying a monthly subscription also yes, yes. we were paying a monthly subscription yeah, yeah that is, I guess the difference is that Overwatch there is no monthly subscription but but it changes it changes how the games are set up and calibrated yeah uh, well I mean this is the thing is that is uh, are they encouraging you to play the game or are they encouraging you to be in the game so that you're going to buy something. Well, the the game is now structured to encourage you to buy things yeah. rather than just to keep playing the game. Yeah. So uh, so and, and I think now we're getting with loot crates. We are actually now starting to point where the regulatory bodies have are expressing concern yes. about the conduct of the video Finally. game industry. Where does it transition in the eyes of regulatory bodies into gambling? Because let's say I'm playing an old school subscription. RPG. I'm playing World of Warcraft, I'm playing FF11, I'm playing EverQuest. I pay a subscription fee, I'm engaged with this game, and my engagement is based on uh, playing the game and say, I'm doing a raid, I'm fighting a boss, the boss has a random chance to drop the item that I want and need. I'm not guaranteed to get it, there's only so much to go around, someone else might get it. Uh, You know, that's random. I, I, how, how like the the loot crate is obvious to regulatory it bodies looks like, because it looks it's, like a it's much more up in your face. Yeah, but it, it literally just goes there and spins around and then you opens can, up. And, you yeah. can ask the question of is not going on a gigantic raid for a random chance of a boss dropping something and the uh, requirement that you have to spend all this time and engagement with the game playing a subscription fee, not also pulling a slot machine, but just very slowly. Well, You're but very I think, slowly I think, pulling that I think that's very important, crate. actually. Because the thing about a VLT, the thing that makes a VLT dangerous, is you can go, money, 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 You're right. money, it's, money. It, it, it goes much faster. Right. Got and and it, maybe that is the important thing for, for regulatory bodies to look at, is frequency and speed. But... Uh, it, 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 it is a troublesome question. But it certainly, if Blizzard is finding like more desirable skins and then altering their rarity of appearing mm-hmm. to stimulate people to buy more, which I believe they probably are doing, mm-hmm. um, then they are... Then they then it's not then then it's not true randomness. Well, and, and this is a thing that has changed um, because back back in the day with a more old school RPG, if uh, or a more old school MMO, if drop rates were changed like under your nose to create more player engagement, like made more strict, if they make uh, you know a Beelzebub thumb more rare because they're in super high demand and they're like, well, we can up player engagement by making Beelzebub thumbs rarer. There would be a, a goddamn riot. Right. Nowadays, uh, like Path of Exxon and Diablo 3 both, uh, we know that they do this on the regular all the time. And it's just an accepted... Um, right. The, not, not necessarily happily accepted, but it's considered just the cost of doing business of playing the game. Yeah, I, I think the question for regulatory bodies uh, should be to probably ignore this thing that I personally brought up and brought the problem into the conversation, <laughs> but, uh, and to look mostly just at consequence and effect. But there is an interesting philosophical dilemma of yeah, what is where, does, where, where does the randomness become gambling? Yeah, well, or, or is the randomness actually gambling? Or is the randomness always gambling? Well, when yeah. do we choose when it's too much? Well, and the question is what's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a lot of... I think there's a big enough difference between paying for the service of playing a game in which there is a randomness to what items you'll get and just directly 
putting money into a system such to immediately generate this random yeah, loot drop. That's true. I mean, imagine playing an, an old school MMO and being able to just pay to roll on the Kieran drop tra- table. Yeah. That would It'd be, be disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and again, like watching someone play Overwatch, I've never played Overwatch, but watching people play Overwatch, it mm-hmm. looks like a VLT. Like, oh, yeah. like the box is there, it falls down, it opens, and it's like, bam. Like it's like bang, bang, and you see the three things that were in your loot. Right, yeah. like you, you'll see the you'll see the same thing if you play any like Gatchapon phone game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it 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 is it is undistinguishable from a video lottery terminal in in my eyes, actually. Mm-hmm. Well, and now the big thing is they're making it communal, such that you buy this thing um, in uh, when you when you buy this thing and open it, everyone else around you. Can, can see, can see what yeah. you've got. Right, which is an important part of, which is a huge part of the VLT. And if that people winning around you right. primes you to believe that you too can be a success, mm-hmm. that you too can be successful. Also, you're not, yeah. So I think there's a big, that's why there's a big hoop deal, hoop deal when you win something at a VLT, right? In a casino. Right. Big hoop hoop deal. What? Yeah. <laughs> What's a hoop deal? <laughs> Hoopla. Hoopla. That's what I'm looking for. That's a big. Now, uh, but Overwatch really didn't get that much of regulatory attention, and I think the reason, well, some of the reasons why are... This wasn't pay to win? Well, yeah, it wasn't pay to win. The things you got were just cosmetic, even though, you know, people, especially very young people, uh, care about that a whole lot. Um, well, it's, and it's not just a matter of disproportionately caring about it, but also disproportionately not being able to assess the costs and consequences of going all in on it. Right, yes. People, yeah, who don't kind of understand that, oh, if I just buy this $1 thing, but I buy it, you know, 50, 100 times, eh, you know, that's yeah. a week's worth of groceries. And, and that's a, uh, I mean, more than Overwatch, that's a much bigger threat with, like, uh, f- things like Farmville and Candy Crush and... Uh, phone games that are very well, easy for have, just a random child to pick up off of a tablet. There, yeah. There is a great case study here in the case of Smurf like Berries. So you remember when they did those Smurf movies? I don't know, back in like 2008, like the first one. Sure. Uh, anyway, there was, a, there was a promotional phone game for the iPhone, like 2011, I guess, or near the beginning of smartphones. There was a promotional phone game that had a pay-to-play aspect where you could buy these Smurf Berries to up your Smurf village. And sure. You know, like all these, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened those, is, yeah. and because there was no authentication meter or measure between people playing the game, you could just buy Smurf berries right off your phone. So parents giving this game to their kids would buy Smurf berries, and parents were seeing like thousands of dollars in Smurf berry charges appearing on their credit card. Oh, yeah. And the and the and the parents actually mounted a class action lawsuit against Apple and won. Um, well, and, good. and got Apple to install a a, a pay authentication mechanism into their mm-hmm. application into their yes. apps, yeah, between the apps and the store. Uh, you know, and they, like this is I think you're talking about like this is exactly this. These kids were ostensibly these children, minor children, were deceived into spending thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. But that's like almost the entire mobile game market right now is those types of games like yeah uh, it's I, dire like there are they're going looking at the the google play store or whatever yeah, it's bad it's it's all free to play but with the caveat that you it it's really unfun and they're just there such that you put money in to make it not stop i guess or to, or it steals all your personal information or it uses all the resources on your phone to mine bitcoins or all three and the worst ones, uh, like, you know, 
probably you've heard of Clash of Clans. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the biggest one, and what? Don't they even have like TV ads? They have yeah. movie theater ads with like big stars in them. What these games are all predicated on is uh, competitive microtransactions. Yeah. They are nothing but pay to win, but they are. Uh, they basically they. I think how it starts off is you start off in a little kingdom with uh, three other players who all start around the time mm-hmm. that you do. Mm-hmm. And you all build up your kingdoms, but then you can launch attacks against the other kingdoms. Yeah. And, uh, There's a PvP you, dynamic. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. If you wipe them out, they either have to start from scratch, or they can pay real money to get back to where they were like that. Right. So you have this constant escalation arms race between people, and you know what they're hoping for is you'll get two people in the same kingdom who are both willing to just keep feeding money in, and they they do. <laughs> right, well, I know, I know, I, I spoke to a woman who, her partner was got really into Clash of Cans, and it became actually a problem yeah, no. in, their, in, her, in their marriage. Like, the people can put themselves in huge debt yeah, playing these yeah, games. Yeah, and these, these represent actually thousands of dollars, and it's, and it's demonstrated that the Clash of Cans is a very profitable property. Yeah. Um, and, you know, through, through this selling this service, which is completely irrational. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're not really psychological manipulation. That's all it is. It's just the desire to, to beat the other side, and no matter what the cost. It's, it's And sunk cost fallacy is a big part of that, because, of course, you know, the first time for sunk cost fallacy is like, oh, well, I've already put a hundred bucks into this. If I if I stop putting more money into it, it's like that money was spent for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people will, will pay a hundred bucks the first time to get their kingdom back up. Then it gets wiped out again. It's like, well, I've already paid the hundred bucks. This if is I what happened to me with well, my old car. I, right. I already put a bunch of money into my old car, so I kept paying to fix I think kind of the big reason why... Overwatch didn't get much in the way of uh, regulatory blowback is because it wasn't pay to win. There wasn't this kind of competitive thing like, I need to buy this, otherwise I won't be able to compete. Where you do see that, right now the big controversy is in the the new Star Wars Battlefront 2 game, which is hard for me to say because I really loved the Star Wars Battlefront 2 game from 2004. We we played that a lot. No, it's just... So they they did a soft reboot Star Wars Battlefront and now they have a soft reboot Star Wars Battlefront 2, so I can't even talk about this game that I like anymore. I know, it's terrible. Getting confused because... Anyway. Words have no more meaning. In this game, the items are not just cosmetic. They're, uh, They're upgrades for guns and for classes and consumable items. And uh, it's is it is it a horizontality thing like in um, Team Fortress, where like that f- all the different things you can get are both cosmetic but not necessarily direct upgrades. They're different like niches, gameplay niches. They give you more like diversification options, or are they just straight up numbers no, go up? Just well, yeah. There's some. Des- there there's both. You okay. just, you, you just okay. get straight okay. up stat right. boosts. You get straight up stat yeah. boosts, but you also just get and and one time consumables and. You get access to uh, the heroes, the things that people actually want to play this oh, game okay. to be. Right. Like yeah. the big thing was like, you, they, somebody figured out that you needed to grind for I think it was uh, forty or fifty hours straight uh, in order to be able to unlock Darth Vader. And okay. everybody who plays this game wants to play as Darth Vader. Sure. Mm-hmm. 
or yeah. just to get the chance to play as Darth yeah. Vader. But now, but now instead of putting in that forty hours of gameplay, which is again kind of ostensibly fair, uh, now you can pay for it. Well, no, or, they, or you or you can only pay for it. No, you you like well, I mean, they set up the game to be so grindy, such that people would just pay for it, right? They right. designed the game yeah. around encouraging people to play this. So game. how many hours would you have to grind to be Darth Vader now? Well, they they lowered it a bit, I think. I think they lowered it so now it's only. I don't know, half, so 20 or, or 15 right, or something. Yeah. But, um, yeah, but it's the kind of the fundamental part of it that's just so... Um, but it, it, it is... The reason it's getting such this big blowback is, one, because they made it such a huge time sink in order to get these big things. But also, because it is competitive, you get that same kind of clash and clans incentive to want to be better than the other guy right. at any cost. It incentivizes other people to play the grind to not pay because oh I'm mm-hmm. gonna beat them I'm gonna beat the system I'm not gonna pay for that I'm just gonna grind it out so they create a captive population playing in to play the grind showing up all the time to play in which creates a population for to attract the whales so that there are always people engaged in playing right yeah because of course you need as, uh, as Diablo 3 demonstrated you can't just have a game where everybody's required to pay You'll fail. Yeah, right. You, you just want those people who can, well, I shouldn't say can pay a lot, but will pay a lot. Because almost, yeah, most of the time these people who are paying a lot can't really. It's not all yeah. Rockefellers playing this game. It's just people with access to the easy credit that our current very low interest rate policy world provides them. Sure, well, um, I know lots of lots of people I know who spend, who buy money, tra- who, who do microtransaction games are very young people. Just for the potential audience's uh, information, we are we are located in Edmonton, home of Bioware, and uh, the first game to really stumble—well, I don't know stumble upon—but put this uh, this game to uh, put this this model yeah. to great test and great success was Mass Effect Three, which everyone hates for the wrong reason. Was is reviled for its ending, but I was never invested enough to care about that. But what it was was they had it was kind of. It's a the fun The first setting. Mass Effect game with multiplayer? Did Mass Effect 2 have multiplayer too? No. No. No, yeah, it was the first Mass game Effect 2 was, yeah. Mass Effect to have multiplayer. And it actually had a pretty fun multiplayer. But part of that multiplayer was there was a card system where uh, you earned credits from from playing the game and you could use those to buy card packs similar to like Magic the Gathering or something. Yeah. They would all have classes and weapons and consumables and these were all, you know, these were all things that gave you definite advantages on the game store and of course you could pay for them. And uh, I think there was a, an interview with an ex-Bioware employee who said that uh, he, who had worked on Mass Effect 3, he said that uh, he couldn't give definite numbers, but he definitely saw people who were paying, individual people who were paying upwards of $15,000 oh on multiplayer God. card packs in Mass Effect 3. So if you're wondering why every formerly single-player EA game uh, now has a multiplayer component... That's because that's of, why because of Mass Effect Three. Because this, Mass Effect was, 3. this became proof of concept for moving forward. Yes. Yeah. Okay, that was our interview with two uh, anonymous video game enthusiasts. Uh, I called them gamers in the intro, but I, I I don't think that's really fair to them. They contain multitudes. Uh, they're they're both uh, scholars and, and activists and uh, wonderful people in their own rights outside of playing video games, but they, they have been playing video games, they've been playing them for quite some time. And I think had some very uh, critical insights. 
the reason I'm releasing this now, I think, is because kind of what we talked about all the way back in the winter of 2018 has kind of come true. A couple of lawsuits have been filed against Supercell, the maker of Clash of Clans, and uh, against Electronic Artists, or EA. Uh, and the fact that these companies have been targeted for <laughs> exactly the kind of behavior that we talked about in this interview, uh, Electronic Artists has in 2020 surpassed $1 billion in microtransactions alone. So this has become a very big business and it's finally drawing attention. It's actually beginning to create enough damage in society that people are maybe pushing back against this and demanding there be greater accountability, particularly greater accountability in how they interact with sometimes the youngest and most vulnerable uh, segments of our society. So this is something we're going to be watching, I think, uh, as a podcast uh, and as a and as a group, uh, I do want to say I, I really enjoy doing this type of interview and dealing with uh, people who have a have a hobby that's been impacted by broader economic trends. So if you are a, a hobbyist of some kind, you have something like nerdy sci-fi uh, thing you're into, and and it has been touched by microtransactions or an app or just broader trends in the way we treat um, money, intellectual property, and revenue, uh, I would love to hear from you. And you can email me, Steve, Steve. That's S-T-E-V-E, S-T-E-V-E, at androidsandassets.ca. Special thank you to my guests who, again, uh, as they requested, will remain anonymous. I'm very thankful to them, and I'm very glad that I could share their wonderful insights with you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a great night.